You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Hey everyone, Yas here, and I just wanted to say it's great to have you join me today because I'm sure we're going to have another fantastic episode. So whether you're here for the first time or if you're one of the repeat loyal listeners of the show, I truly appreciate you. But before we get to today's guest, I just have a small favour to ask, and that's if you could just take a brief moment to hit the subscribe button if you haven't already. Ensure that you share it with all your coaching friends, and don't forget to get in touch, guys. Let me know your thoughts on what you think of today's episode or any of the recent episodes you've listened to. You can do this on Twitter at the Coaches Net. Once again, that's at the Coaches Net. And please make sure you do, as I'd love to hear your thoughts, guys. Anyway, on to today's show. I hope you enjoy it. Have a great day, guys. The Coaches Network. Hey, guys, you're now listening to the Coaches Network podcast, a podcast aimed at anyone who's passionate about athlete, talent, and personal development. My name's Coach Yas, and I'm a UEFA licensed football coach, coach developer, and content creator. I'll be sitting down with a range of guests to discuss their journeys, their life lessons, and how you can make an impact. Enjoy. Right, guys, welcome back to the Coaches Network. My name's Coach Yas, and I've got a very special guest with me today. My guest today is Jamal Campbell-Rice. Good evening, Jamal. How are you doing, man? Good evening, Yas. Um, yeah, all good, thank you. Hope you're well as well. Very well, and I'm really excited about this conversation we're about to have. I'm sure we're going to pack some serious stuff in this in this next hour or so. Jamal, just... um. Before we get to the thick of it, maybe just give a brief insight around who you are, what you do, and we'll go from there. Um, yeah, um, obviously, just introducing my name, Jamal Campbell Rice, um, ex-professional footballer now. Um, had a career spanning, I think it was over 20, 21 years. Um, started off at Charlton, came through the ranks there. Various loan moves, um, late in Orient, Wimbledon, Chesterfield, before I made a permanent move to Rotherham. Um, South End, Barnsley, Bristol City, uh, Knox County, uh, and so on and so on. Um, obviously representing my country as well, which I'm extremely proud of. Retired, um, actually retired, uh, just on lockdown. Um, it was almost forced upon me. I was, it was actually the start of my coaching journey. Um, I was at Colchester. Uh, as player, player under 23s coach, which I really enjoyed. Um, it was a shame that lockdown um, cut it short, but still, obviously, like I'm not the only one that suffered. Um, but yeah, it really gave me a taste for coaching. Um, ended up doing maybe just over a year at Stevenage's found, foundation phase lead, which I thought was at the time um, wanted no part, no no part to do with that really and truly. If I'm going to be brutally honest, but I thought it was really, really good for my learning. Um, something I needed to do, strip it right back to the basics. 
go with the babies and believe it or not thoroughly enjoyed it but there was always that burning sensation to to get with the get back to uh pdp age and then um um ended up at, at peterborough <clears throat> where i've been for uh, over a year now um coming up to a year and a half um which has been fantastic and and most recently um uh, joined the FA as one of the part-time coaches, um, part-time coach for the under-19s, uh, one of the assistant coaches there, uh, supporting Simon Rusk, who's the head coach, which is really good, but been fortunate enough to to jump on another camp last week with the under-15s talent ID. And uh, next week I've got another camp. I'm going with the under-16s of Spain for, for a tournament. Um, so, yeah, that's just a brief synopsis on, on, my, on my journey. Obviously, it's a lot longer than that, but I just uh, just quickly fired it out as quickly as I could there for you. Yeah, no, definitely, man. You look, you managed to kind of, uh, you know, really unpack. I say unpack. You managed to kind of jam pack. You know, the last minute with twenty four years of experience, maybe longer. Um, and I'm sure there's going to be so many ups and downs that have happened within that, and so many challenges that you face, as well as many successes. So, you know, let, let, let's go back right to the start of that journey. We said you came through the ranks of Charlton, but before that, you know. When did you first get involved in football? What did that look like? And you know, you know, a lot's changed over the years since. Certainly, you you were younger, I was younger. Very different environment. What was that like for you? Um, to be honest with you, like I actually started playing football really, really late in comparison to when everybody else really starts playing. Normally, people are like players that start playing from the age of five, six, seven in academies, eight, nine. Um, but I was never really interested until. I'd probably say about 13, 14. Um, like didn't didn't play at all. Um, I was more interested in watching wrestling and res- and playing with wrestling figures, to be brutally honest. Um, and it was obviously playing. Who was your, your like, favourite one? Uh, Ultimate Warrior. Yes. Um, yeah, <laughs> Ultimate Warrior was a serious dude. Uh, yeah, he was powerful. The face paint, the muscles. The, the armbands, the yeah, whole yeah, lot, yeah. little shaking the top rope and all that, and that was my that was my vibe, um. But yeah, I was I was addicted to that, and it was actually, um, being at home and it was like, I I I'd want to watch wrestling, and my stepdad would want to watch the football, so it was like my mum, mum would like be half half, so I'd always go the first half, watch the first half of wrestling, then he'd go into football, and I was always fuming, but. Hey ho, that was probably the start of my, my my love for it. And yeah, like I said, didn't start enjoying it until I was in the playground at school. Obviously, like the one attribute that I always had, I, I was really quick, nimble. And uh, one of my best friends, like Irish boy, Noel Murphy, he was like, oh, come and play for my Sunday league team. Um, so I did. Um, obviously, it was raw, offside, non-stop. Didn't understand the offside rules, just running for the sake of running. Um, but yeah, just quickly found the love for the game. And it just started from there, to be honest. Decent. So, you know, you talked there about obviously not not joining the game early on. What was it about football at that age, you know, that caught you? And when did you, when did it start to become a thing where you actually, right, I'm really into this? Because obviously you said that you meant your mate of mate of yours got you into football. Or I should come play Sunday League. At what point did you feel like, actually, yeah, this is, this is something I really want to do? Um, that's a good question. Uh, to be honest, I don't think there's an isolated incident or a a point in my childhood where I was like, oh, 
yeah, it was just like the more that I played it, the more I was just enjoying it. And to be honest with you, my mum was quite strict with me. Like if I wasn't up to up to with my, my schoolwork or if I get in trouble, she still there was a time in, in my childhood that she stopped me playing football for a year. Because um when out as you do like with your friends and stuff, come back late and then um, she stopped me playing. These times I was at I was at Mill. Um no, that's a lie. That's I was still playing uh, grassroots. Yeah, I was playing grassroots and stopped me playing for a year. And that that was tough. Obviously, I was still going out the front and playing, but actual playing with my team and stuff like that. Um, it was a whole year and I had to beg her and all the rest of it. And finally, I think I got my old coach to to call her up and, and like beg and plead and she finally let me again. So, but yeah, that was a tough time. But yeah, it was um obviously over a course of like a period that really fell in love with the game. Um, and I think it was all a little bit like a, the success I was getting from it, obviously, was mm. quick and like um, I could dribble, didn't really understand the rules and stuff of the game still, but I just had that raw ability that um, I fell in love with, to be honest. That's quite interesting because you obviously mentioned there that, you know, you had that year out where your mum kind of kept you indoors, if you like. And then you've obviously then got assigned to a club. You said you mentioned there Millwall. That must have been a massive, uh, a massive thing for you, because obviously, you know, you've taken that year out, and it must have seen something in you that you thought, you know, what actually, this kid ain't played for a year. Mm. But we, 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 you know, let's take, let's take so, a look so, at him. So that, so how that, obviously, um, jumping on into secondary. Obviously, I was in secondary school, uh, in secondary school, um, playing for my school, um, then playing for my borough, then ended up playing for my county as well. Um, and I've been on a couple of uh, trials previously. I was at Chelsea. I was training at Chelsea for about probably about six months, um, maybe just shy of that. Um, weren't getting no love from them, um, no joy. Obviously, the standard was was mad high. Um, then went, then got re- uh, recruited by Watford. Um, was in there for a while. Again, wasn't getting no no love back from them. I was just training. Never really got never got released from either of them. But it was just training but there was no real ends to a, to a, the means to an end I should say um and then uh I was, remember playing playing for Harrow against Brent and that was always the, the 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 real big rivalry whenever you play against Brent being at Harrow we couldn't stand them, that Brent lot and always wanted to win and they were fiery games I mean like remember having a one game was particularly good and remember this uh back in the day like the scouts could approach you Obviously, he's approached my uh, my, uh, my 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 team manager um, for Middlesex at the time, and then he um, and then he just said to me, "Well done." I remember my manager of, of Harrow just gave me his card, um, and just went from there. Really, like uh, got my mum to call him up, organised when to come down, and then literally I went training at Mill. We were late because of we from West London. Um, we was living in um, in Northolt, and we had to drive all the way over to Sheen. They had their, their thing, and that's a, that was a, that was a slap. And um, obviously, my mum being at work, um, so she got back, and I was like begging and pleading. She was like, "Oh, there's no point." Begged and pleaded with her anyway. Finally, got over there. I think um, there must have been about forty minutes left of the session when when I arrived, but. In that 40 minutes, um, the scout was there and the academy manager was there. In that 40 minutes, they offered me a contract there and then they offered me schoolboy forms, which was a real proud moment. Like the academy manager literally opened the boot, his boot and a car, gave me a tracksuit, a coat, 
obviously I wore it the next day to training and uh, yeah, I felt like I was a man, but yeah. And then I think it, my my thoughts and feelings towards football, everything just became a lot more serious. And I had that drive and that hunger then that like, right, this is what I want to do. Like, like I want to be a footballer. Cause in my school, I had a, a three or four, three or four boys that were at QPR on QPR's books. I had one, one of them was on Wickham's books. And obviously then me going on to Mill's books, it was just, it was like a big thing. And then from there, from then on, it was like, right, yeah, I'll, I'll, I want to play football. But just, you know, talk, talk about, it. you know, you, you, you got there late, it happens. Um, many clubs are somewhere I say, right, you're late, off you go. But, you, you know, that's it, end of um, not really truly appreciating some of the kind of, you know, the considerable, you know, the considerations you've just mentioned around mum coming from work, you know. Um, having to then travel from West London through to you know through through over, over through to South East or whatever that might be like, and the journey that takes you know, if, I guess in your case, mum might have been driving. For some kids, they don't even have that. So you know, what was it? There must have been something you know outstanding that you you know you demonstrate within those forty minutes that you made them think right. We need to take him. You you'll have to ask them. But just going back to your point on like like. That's how I am with my boys now. That is sometimes, obviously, we have to we have to be disciplined. Coaching is not just about coaching on the grass. It's about the off the field stuff. We're trying to teach them about life, um, not just about football. No, I, I certainly am anyway. Um, I see myself as as a mentor to the boys, somebody that I try and give them real life experiences in the way I talk and what I've experienced and. You just hit the nail on the head. Some boys, you don't know their background, why they're late. Like mum and dad might not have a car. They're traveling from across London. Some are walking like from like an hour and a half, two hours. Like that's that's real life. So, and I'm I'm big on I'm big on like discipline and being on time and all the rest of it. But not everyone's the same. Not everyone's background's the same. So there is that that level of understanding that you have to have as a a coach, a teacher, a mentor, mm-hmm. whatever it may be that. Like, I don't know, Jermaine's route into training might be straightforward, but little Dave's route might be completely different. And they're the understandings that I think we we as coaches, mentors have to understand as well that everyone's background's completely different. So although that we have to treat them all the same, we have to treat them a little bit differently as well. Because like, like, like we're saying there, like we're alluding to, that everyone's backgrounds are very, very different. Yeah, no, hundred percent. And I, you know, there's there's one kind of key moment in my in my journey where it, it's just really stopping me since. I remember I must have been maybe one or two years into my coaching journey at the time, and there was this one kid who was always late, regardless, of, you know, or especially the midweek session. Anyway, um, we had two sessions a week, and he was always late. And I, you know, I realized I never actually took the time to actually find out what was going on. Now I come to find, you know, I'm 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 running a session in Northwest London in Brent. This kid's traveling from Peckham just to come to my sessions. Now, as soon as I've realized that, I thought, right, okay, I'm not even gonna, I'm not even gonna be mad at you for being late. But what I'm now want to find out is what's happening at this environment that's making you want to travel from Peckham, where you know there's probably a thousand other clubs that you could be going to in between here and there. So mm-hmm. I was I was more interested about trying to find out what was something in this environment must have been going right for him. And what was that? So that that was that was a key learning for me. And you know, just to kind of build on what you said there as well, it's about treating you know as much as it is about treating everyone the same. You know, I don't believe in treating everyone equally. I think it's about treating everyone fairly. 
um, having some core guidelines that we kind of kind of stick to recognizing that like you said everyone's got individual needs and differences that we might need to cater to and support around that as well but I really like the piece that you talked today about you know the role of the coach it's not just to be the coach and maybe educate them on the game but educating them you know about life using football as a tool to do that so you know just just to expand on that what, what do you see as the overall role of the coach because this is often a, 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 a topic that's debated by many I well listen I, I've Every coach is different. Like you and I are two completely different coaches for various reasons. Like I'm like my obviously my background's obviously I'm coming from playing. So like straight away I can I can coach the boys in a different way because I've got I've got good and bad experiences of, of what my journeys look like. Do you get what I mean? It's like in terms of I'll give you some some examples. So obviously being a London boy. The first time I moved moved away from London when I signed for Rotherham permanently, moving to Rotherham, well, Sheffield, but signing for a club, Rotherham, really good club, was buzzing there, was in the championship. I walked into a dressing room, only black man there. Now, I've never experienced that. Coming Signing from Charlton, where obviously London, Charlton, very gentrified. And you walk into a dressing room, everyone talks mad, like in terms of the accent. Like, I don't get their banter. They don't get mine, like... It was freezing cold, rain every day. I'm living on my own in an apartment in Sheffield on my own. So like these experiences for me shape me as a as a as a person and as a man. So like I say to my boys all the time, like they're worried at Peterborough, like they're worried about whether or not I'm selecting them. But how about if I if like a manager tells you, you don't want you no more and like Yeovil's coming for you, like you've got a family and you've got to move down there and you get injured, you're out for you're out for two years. What's your mind, what's your mindset gonna be like that? You get released, you ain't got a club. Yeah, you're on X amount a week, but now you're on X amount a week. How are you gonna deal with that? So I'll talk about life experience. I can feed all of this stuff back to my boys because yeah, you wanna be the best player on the grass, but the best players on the grass don't always get that break and it doesn't always look like that. I might think you're the best on the grass, but I might leave, go somewhere else, or get the sack. Another one comes in and doesn't rate you. And like all these experiences, like you might even off the field stuff, you might be going. Somebody in your family might have passed. You might not be able to deal with it. Well, I play with players like that that can't deal with it. Players that are going through divorces and stuff like that, loss of of siblings, and there's just so many life experiences that I've been through and I've seen, been through myself and seen other teammates go through as well that I can feed back and like at the minute like my boys they're 16 17 18 and they think just the football is just just a straight line that's linear and they couldn't be any more confused um so I'll just try and guide them in that way just to like there's worse things that are happening there's like your journey is going to look very very different from the guy that's sitting next to you I remember I was at Bristol City and I was playing with a with Cole Scoose, um, like top player, very, very good player. He's at Colchester now, but for the Lions, he's, he's played for three football clubs. He played for Bristol City for for three or three quarters of his career, Ipswich for the rest of his career. And he's just been at Colchester for the last bit of his career. He's had three clubs. That's unheard of. I've played for 15 plus clubs. You get what I mean? Mm. Travelling up and down the country. So, like, as a footballer, yeah, it gives you a good life and 
wouldn't change it for the world what, what football brought to me but it's not that that's I'm not the only person involved this it's like your family your partner your children move them out of schools and stuff like that even now it's like I'm coaching I've got my two youngest like let's say I get a, a, a role abroad or up north or further down south mm-hmm. it's those conversations that I've got to have with my family or do they come with me do I uproot mm-hmm. them do I leave them here and I do all the commuting? Mm. It's just like there's so many factors that the boys don't get right now. Mm. So, yes, I'm a coach on the on the grass and when it comes to a Saturday, we want to win games, but I'm trying to prepare them for, for a life in the sport to try and give them mm. all my experiences into them. And some of them mm. like will take it on and understand it and hear it. And some of them will just be like, oh, Jammer's just going on again he's just waffling but the, I mean, the one oh. no I was just going to say I think but you know you, you you mentioned there obviously several times obviously you're trying to teach them about life and sport but these, these are just these are life skills that are going to be transferable regardless of the industry you're working in and I think the other, the other kind of thing to kind of really think about it is we're so naive when we're young you know I'm sure you've been there you know when you were young you think to yourself what's mum and dad talking about you grow up 10 15 20 years later you think oh, okay now I get it now mm. I get it and that, that's exactly that you know that's the mindset you, get, you know it's one of them ones where you won't see it till you see it if 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 you, if you get it, um, but you know there's a lot there's a lot of stuff that you kind of talked about in there. You know, in terms of the the individual variables and considerations that someone might have to make around their journey, their career for different aspects. You know, whether that be family reasons, whether it be personal reasons, whether it be you know whatever else it might be. And you know, you also mentioned the amount of clubs that you played for, and you know at the top of the conversation you mentioned that several of these clubs were also on loan. So, you know, what, what, what does that do for a player, you know, when you're having to constantly go out on loan and, you know, what, what are those conversations take, you know, what kind of conversations take place in the build-up to that? Yeah, yes, I'll be honest with you. It was, see, some people, I remember when I was at Stevenage and, like, um, uh, I think it was the Sun paper or the Mirror, one of them, like, came and done a piece on me and then, like, the headline was, like, the journeyman and how I felt about being a journeyman and playing for X amount of clubs and all the rest of it. I did not care. I had one sole goal when I was a kid and I was like, I I cannot say that I made it as a footballer unless until I played 500 games or more. And I achieved that. And whatever that looked like along the way, there was no manager, whether you come in and you, and you tell me that you love me, if you love me, play me. If you don't, leave me alone, let me go. It's as simple as that. I'm not one, I was never one of those players to... Yeah, I earned earn good money out of the game. I was never one of those players to be like, oh, I don't care, I'm just going to go shopping or go for food. Nah, I want to play football. I want to play football. Like, that's why I'm here. At the end of the day, if I'm not playing, let me go somewhere else where I'm going to play. I remember when I was at Sheffield United and uh, Nigel Atkins come in, uh, Nigel Clough signed me and then Nigel Atkins come in. And he was like, yeah, Jamal, I'm a big fan, blah, blah, blah. But weren't playing me. I'm not joking. I think I had a conversation every week until he let me go. Now, he, he probably hated me in the end. So I was just like, listen, look, I just want to I just want to play football. Like, there's nothing against you. There's no bad vibes or whatever. I just want to play football. And whether that's me playing for 100 clubs, two clubs, whatever, or the 15 clubs that I played for, there was nobody getting in the way of me playing over 500 games. And I went on to play, play I think it was like, just shy of 600 games, including being an international. And that's another story, like rep, being an international representative. 
never in my wildest dreams would have like even could even imagine playing at and that type of level playing in the gold cup um like playing in world cup qualifiers traveling all over the world to represent mm. my country that's a privilege that like like i exceeded even my expectations um getting bought for money and all, all of these things that like i just wanted to play football mm. um but, like it's, it's mad because covid happened and I didn't even celebrate my retirement, which 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 sounds which sounds nuts. I didn't even, you know, like obviously you get a lot of well, every player like they announce their retirement, whether it be on Instagram or like Sky Sports or whatever, like LinkedIn. Like I never did it because like COVID kind of like hindered that. Mm. But sometimes when I sit down and I reflect on my career, like now I'm proud of me, like for what I achieved. You get what I mean? Yeah, no, a big respect for that. I was literally having a conversation with someone a couple of days ago, and it's like I think sometimes we need to take that second just to pause for a moment, and just just reflect on what we've been able to achieve and just celebrate our wins. I don't think I don't think we spend enough time as individuals doing that, and I think it's just like life becomes so fast paced at times that we could kind of we just skip by a day after day in a bit of a routine and just you know in a rat race and not like. It just you know whatever whatever you've been proud of in, in your in your life, you know whether it's the fact that, you know, in your case, you've played just shy of 600 games, you represent your country, or whether you're someone else listening to this and you're thinking, right, do you know what, I've just become a father for the first time. Celebrate that, man. Like, there's a, there's a lot of things that we kind of overlook, and it's just having that gratitude, you know, just to recognise, actually, do you know what, this is not about anyone else. And this kind of comes back to one of the things that you were saying. I think one of the key things that you know, kind of really jumped out at me as you're speaking is, it's just never personal. It's just, I, I just want to do what I love. And you know whether whether a manager didn't didn't want you to play or wanted you to play, it's just like right, I just want to play. So if you're going to be the one that lets me do that, then cool, we're on good terms, isn't it? Um, not to say that it was bad terms if that wasn't the case, but just you know, let's keep keep it moving. It's business. Business is what it is. Let's move it on and let me go somewhere else and get what I need to get. So you know, I, I, mad respect for that. But you know, just within that. You talked obviously about representing your country. How does that come along? You know, what, how does that approach look? And you know, you said it exceeded your expectations. When you got there, though, was there any major surprises for you? And obviously, coming from coming from England, obviously, you know, Jamaican, you know, heritage and um, the massive differences that there could be in the cultures there. Obviously, yeah. you go there, you climatize, you know, you're just going to fit in straight away. But was there any things that you started to look at? If you're right, you know what, this is nothing like what they're doing back at home. Yeah, and you just hit the nail on the head. It was polar opposites. So it was like, like I, it was one. It was obviously a culture shock. Um, obviously for football, like in footballing terms, um, obviously we were playing week in week out at the time. I'm playing obviously championship football and stuff. Sorry, scratch that. So the first time I got called up, I was at I was at Charlton. Uh, and there was whispers that like England, like the the younger age groups were looking at me and stuff like that. So obviously Jamaica obviously caught wind of it, um, blah blah blah. And I got and I got called up to uh, remember my my debut was at the Majeski against Australia. Um, there was some like big players playing like see back then Ricardo Gardner, um, Ricardo Fuller, uh, Richard Langley was in the squad, Kevin Lisby, Jason Yule. Obviously, the, all these guys like uh, Micah Hyde, they were all established within the the national team setup and stuff like that. So obviously, it was a big thing for me. Then I went on to play quite 
you know, quite a few games in the under-23s for Jamaica, but then quickly got back into the senior team and um, I think I, I got like 30-odd caps for, for, for Jamaica, but it was, um, yeah, going over there, it was just like going over in your state, like the accommodation, you're staying in a, like, imagine like a, just a house, like a house where you're in now, and it's just beds in, in every room. And I was just like, it was just a mad culture shock. Like, but the biggest thing for me was just when you're playing the games in the stadium, obviously the stadium was massive, ram-packed, singing the anthem, playing those games. Those like, the feeling that that gave me was mm. was insane. Mm. But leading up to that, like just the travel and you know like how laid back everyone was, like you're asking for stuff and like, it's just, they just do it in their own time. It was just typical Jamaicans, I guess. <laughs> Well, you know, it's quite interesting you obviously mentioned that because, you know, the, 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 it's, you know, the way I like to look at it, you know, is I don't think it's lack of seriousness, it's just a different approach. Um, culture. Yeah, it's the, culture. The, it's the culture. And I think, you know, for some people look at it and be like, oh, that's not professional. But actually, well, it's all subjective, isn't it? Like, I mean, if that works for the people that you're working with, then so be it, especially now, you know, I guess what, what you know, one thing I kind of really jumped out at me is where you were speaking is, is, when you're all getting together, it's not the same as a club environment, I, I would imagine. You know, you get, you get, to get together, represent your national team. Would you would you say that there's much more of a unity there? Because you don't often hear in, you know, in national teams where there's, you know, um, maybe conflicts that often amongst players. It's a lot more like we're here. Um, would, would that be fair? So, so the biggest thing um, going and playing for Jamaica, uh, listen, like... Obviously, being within the, the Football Association now with the younger age groups in the 19s and helping with the 15s and, like, all the players come from different places. So, like, not everyone knows each other. So, it is that getting together and then, as staff, you're trying to create that that bond and that togetherness and all the rest of it. And it's hard to do that on camps when you're in together for a certain amount of time. Um, when I was with Jamaica and playing with them, it was there was, like, a... I don't want to say a divide but it was kind of a divide between like the local Jamaican players the actual Jamaican players and the ones coming from England to, to come over and play it, it, within that then w w was there an element of because you're not from here here as in you're not mm -hmm. here in Jamaica you're not really one of us that <laughs> we we used to say that yeah um, but it's almost like when you're when you're in Jamaica playing, when Jamaicans really start in footballing terms, I'm talking when they really started to respect you is when they could see that you could handle the ball. And like when like when I first went over, you know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. 
Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Before, like, before we started training and stuff, like, everyone was standoffish. I was, like, the black sheep, the, like, the loner. Then the balls come out, and then we're doing our bits and bobs, and I'm stripping people, and then they're, like, then they warm to you, and then they're, like, oh, he can play. Like, so then it's, like, then you're almost, like, then you're accepted. So, um, you know, Jamaicans are very much, like, like, ability first, then we can, then we can, like, start warming to you and, and stuff like that. Yeah, it's, it's essentially recognizing whether you're the real deal, basically. Yeah, because yeah, <laughs> at the end of the day, they're, they're thinking that you're coming over there to take their food. Mm-hmm. And what I'm there to do is obviously just showcase yourself and do the best that you can. But it's almost like, is it a jealousy thing? Is it not? Um, but they just, they don't want, they, and naturally they're over there and they're trying to make it. They're all, all them players, are, they're trying to make it out of Jamaica and trying to carve out a career for themselves, whether it be, in Europe, in the States, or wherever, and that like, they see another one coming over from overseas, and they're trying to take their food. Like we're mm-hmm. not, like we're we're here to help. We're in this we're together, to yeah, help. yeah. You get me, but like I get it. I, I I completely understand it. You completely get it. But there was that, like you have to break down barriers and you have mm-hmm. to showcase yourself, and like it took a while for them, like um, a short while for them to to warm to me. But once they could see that, like um, I could handle the ball and like I was a decent enough player, then mm. like I got with everyone just do you, fine. Do you feel that was amplified in any way, shape, or form? The fact that you were coming from England in particular. Um, no, not really. Well, there was a, there was a there was a bag of us that come from England. You know what I mean? There was there was a load, but especially it probably got highlighted more for me because I was one of the only ones in the under twenty threes that were from from England. Do you get what I mean? So when I was with the twenty threes, they were probably the the harshest with me and um, rather than the, the the senior team and it was like I'm, and I'll never forget this one session it was it was actually my first time meeting up with him and it was in Jamaica and like the training facilities were horrific and 
but like my my first call up was obviously like I said with the with the with the senior team against Australia and England, but then my second second call up was then with the twenty threes and I played a few games. Obviously, I was still a young kid, and um, I remember like nobody was talking to me. I was on the coach on the way to training, sitting on my own. Nobody really talking to me. There's blazing their music as they do. Start training, and I was just murdering everybody in training. And then everyone wants to be a friend on the coach journey back. You know what I mean? Like laughing and joking, laughing at the, the other boys that are getting stripped. But that's almost like that was like me arriving and just saying, yeah, I'm here. Like now what? Like, like you have to respect me because I can kick ball. Yeah, so, yeah. So you know, uh, at the top of that, obviously you mentioned there was whispers, obviously potentially the England uh, youth teams look at having a look at you. And at any point, was it was it? Yeah, was it was it just a given that you know as soon as Jamaica came calling you was going to go or was it was there a bit of deliberation around that as well? Yeah, so I just wanted to play football. Like that, that is it. Like I honestly like it was literally first come first serve. If it was England, great, brilliant. Um, but it was Jamaica, and probably it was an unbelievable decision. Like loved every minute of it. Like I said, like traveling all over the world. Like been to countries that weren't even like dream of going and stuff like that and like off the back of like my own but like remember going to South Africa that was nuts like crazy crazy country and um, obviously mad dangerous over there like having getting police escorts everywhere um like just just experiences like that that will live with you forever um but yeah obviously experiencing playing against um obviously against England at Old Trafford um just I played in some unbelievable games. Played in two Gold Cups. Um, again, brilliant experience traveling around the around the states with them. It was just like the things that you, that can't be taken from you. So now all good. So you know, let's look at that journey. And obviously, you know, you played for so many different clubs, so many different players that you would have played against, but also so many managers that you would have played under. Well, who were the ones that really you know were memorable for you for both good and bad reasons? Um, do we really want to talk about the bad? Um, I, I, th- I think it's important, though. I think it, you know um, it's it's recognizing. Listen, I, 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 listen, I won't name names. So I think that's I think that's disrespectful, and yeah, I wouldn't want it to come out. Maybe just share the experiences around yeah. you know what what, what happened and, and how it made you feel, and um, maybe a key learning that people can kind of take away from it, thinking about when interacting with players in the future. Um, right, I'll start with the best manager slash coach that I think I've had. And he's probably the worst coach, not the worst, but did little to no coaching. But uh, Keith Curl, when um, I had him at Notts County, and then I actually signed for him uh, when I was at when he was at Carlisle. Um, I went up there, and he, for me personally, for me, he was the best man manager I come across. Um, he was, I'll never forget this quote that he, he, he said. I remember when he was at Knotts and he was actually training at St George's Park for a season. And like, um, come in and he's having banter with, and he's having banter with a couple of lads who, uh, who, who were like, weren't, weren't regular starters, if you get what I mean. I was like, and I was like, Hell, Gaffer, any danger you having that 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 sort of banter with me and uh, never get anything from me? He goes, what do I need to worry about you for? Goes, you play every week. I need to focus my attention on the ones that don't play. And that really resonated with me. It's like I don't need to focus on the ones that are playing because 
they're taking care of themselves. They're happy. They're in the starting eleven. They're they're in that three o'clock team. They're getting their appearance bonus. Need to fo- You need to keep the ones that are not playing on the side because there is going to come a time when you need them. And when that time does come, you don't want them to be like, oh, I'm not playing for him or completely toss off the game or whatever. Do you get what I mean? Like so, And that taught me that football is not just about the, the starting eleven. With England, we use a lot of the phrase starters and finishers. Like, you need your finishers. It's vitally important. You get suspensions, injuries, dips in form. You need a squad to come through and, and the ones that aren't your first 11, your starters, to come in and, and affect the game as well as you can. And the only way you can do that is by keeping them on board. That really resonated with me a lot. And I thought that was really intelligent. And um, I learned so much from him. If you, I remember a couple of boys having like family issues and he was like, listen, I don't need to see you for the rest of the week as long as you're in Friday. Um, I'm ready for Saturday, no problem. I signed for him at, at Carlisle. And um, I know my missus was like, obviously was was buzzing at the time. Um, but when I signed for Carla, it was me and Clint Hill was, was there. Obviously, Clint was forty at the time. I was what thirty six, going on thirty seven. And he was, and he was after if, as long as there was a Saturday to Saturday, there was no midweek fixture. After Saturday's game was like see Thursday, and it was just like he know he obviously he knew that like lived in London. Got a young family, my missus works. Um, and he was really understanding of that. And me being in Carlisle wasn't conducive to my lifestyle. Mm-hmm. So it was almost like it was like that was the you come up here, do the business for me, but I'll still I'll look after you. Yeah. But the key the key thing in that, you know, is trust. Yeah. yeah. And you know, I think it, it often goes overlooked in, in the sense of like well, actually I'm gonna empower you to do what it is that you need to do as long as you you know it's one of them ones you scratch my back I scratch your sort of thing it's like do you think that would have happened had you been younger because obviously you mentioned that you're 36 do you think there was any consideration with that actually you know what you're at that stage of your career you might need to manage your you manage your physical load a bit more um no I don't I don't think that I I think when you're younger you you go and you make that decision to to go up north or down south wherever it may be um I don't think there's that you if you sign for the club or and bring your family or you don't sign for the club and leave it, do you get what I mean? I th- but I think when you're older, I think you, you've almost earned that right. Um, and obviously, I worked with Curly before. He knew what I was like. He knew that I loved being in the gym and I looked after myself. Obviously, I'm, I, pl- I played till I was 37. So, like, that, ain't, that isn't a fluke. You have to look after yourself. Do you get what I mean? You have to go in the gym and do the extras. And Clint Hill was the same. He was... He was obviously from Liverpool, again, had a family, um, and Hilly was in, well, he was 40 years old, he was older than me, and an incredible Nick. And listen, it's no coincidence that he played that for that length of time as well, because he looked after his body. Um, and that word that you use, trust, is probably the, the biggest, the biggest word, the biggest thing in football. If you don't trust somebody, how are you going to, how are you going to work for them? How are you going to work with them? Do you get what I mean? So... Um, yeah, Curly definitely trusted me, and and I trusted him. That's why I went up there. Who else? Uh, the good ones. Uh, okay, so spoke about the best man manager. Probably speak about the best coach now. Um, uh, probably Derek McInnes. Uh, when I was at Bristol City, um, 
often joined in the sessions and he was just an unbelievable footballer, but really good. But um, obviously, most recently, I can't remember where he is now, but most recently he was at Aberdeen. He was doing well and then lost his job there, but he's still he's managing again. I can't remember. I think is it Dundee? Might be at Dundee, but he was at Bristol City for a while. He was top top coach, very very good. Uh, loved his detail. Uh, and I have to say, although I didn't get on with him the best, I thought Nigel Clough was a was an excellent coach as well. Like really good. He had this aura about him that I didn't always. I didn't always see eye to eye with him and agree with him on certain things but on the grass i did i thought he was outstanding and uh he knew how to get the most out of players and yeah he, he was he was he was a very good coach um the just, not just, some... just on that though jamal what does that actually look like you know so just to give you the context you know i work as a coach developer i'm speaking to coaches all the time and you know some some of the questions i try and you know Get into the real heart of his around reflection around their strengths, their areas for development, and I hear many times I'm great at building relations, great at, you know getting the most out of my players. What what does that actually look like in in terms of at that level? You know, you, you you're talking there about you know you got the most out of play. You didn't always see eye to eye of him, but you respect that he, what he did on the grass. What does that look like practically? Um, I just think it's like as as I think firstly before you're a coach and stuff. You have, you're a man and you're dealing with other men and like and I think just understanding what that man what that player needs is so important I think that's and like do you know what I'm learning that like more and more each day that again we talk, we alluded to it a little bit earlier that not everyone's different do you know what I mean like okay so to give you an example when I was at Barnet like uh played with John Akinde um and our manager was uh was mad dog uh obviously you know who mad dog is um martin allen for the listeners who don't know who that is so mad dog like john akinde at half time could have scored a hat trick and martin allen would come in at half time and grill him and just say i need more and batter him and he'd go out and score not but he like he knew how to rile him up, how to get the most out of him. And I've not seen another manager while I was at Barnet do the same with him. They didn't know how to get the best out of him. It was nuts. It was like, he wasn't saying anything with much substance, but it was almost like he'd get under his skin to make him give him that little bit more. Um, but it, And it was weird, but I'm going back to like Nigel Clough, I just, I just thought he, on the grass, he just had that connection of not necessarily individually, but I think he knew how to drive a team and get the most out of his teams. You get what I mean? Um, and I think that's important. I'm learning it now as a coach that I'm learning that like three of my players can take getting absolutely grilled. I put their hand up and like about get on with it. I'm learning that six of them are really emotional that they need a, an arm around them, and that's fine because. They're at that age where they are really emotional and, and stuff like that. And I have to understand that and they can't take a grilling. So I have to, although they might not be performing how I'd like them to, I have to tell them in a way that they know that I'm not happy, but in a roundabout way. And I just think that's, it's just understanding instead of like, okay, so we, we played youth cup a couple of weeks ago to Northampton 
lost three two, lost lost three two. Then midfielder scores a hat trick. He scores two free kicks and a worldie from twenty five yards. It was two 0 down. We've got it back to two. He scores another free kick in the last minute. Gutted. Like we we was we didn't play. We weren't. We didn't showcase showcase ourselves as well as we have been doing this season, um, and as well as I know. But for the fans in the stadium and the chairman watching and the first team manager watching, like it's a disappointing result and all the rest of it. And like I have to wear that. I had to wear that. So after the game. Like I could quite eat, and probably last year I would have come in the change room and it would have been rah, 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 like just shouting, screaming, but not saying any, saying anything with any substance. It would have just been a shout and a scream. Whereas I went in the dressing room and I was like, I was more disappointed for them. And you have to mm-hmm. you have to find ways to uplift your team. Do you get what I mean? Uplift your boys because guess what? Football changes like that and. There's another game and there was round the corner three days later. So instead of me dwelling on that, I thought, yes, we had to dissect the game and what we didn't do right and what we need to do better. But I found that as a as a team leader, as a manager, as a coach, that I have I have to pick my boys up. And we went on, on Saturday to win five two. So one game doesn't turn you into a bad player. So mm-hmm. like they're they're life lessons, and again those that that environment of being in the stadium, instead of playing in front of fifty fans along the touchline on a Saturday, you was playing in front of five hundred, and the chairman's watching, the manager's watching, the CEO's watching, and all these eyes are on, and now everyone's saying, "Oh, not good enough, not good enough," mm-hmm. and if I'm another one to say not good enough, then I'm just throwing words out that everybody else is. So like yeah, no, a, definitely. Go on, sorry. Just, yeah, no, just interested to obviously unpack that a little bit further because obviously you mentioned that, you know, you gave the example of Martin Allen and how he got the best out of John Akinde. Uh, I'm conscious. Did you, did, you, I mean, did you ever catch yourself, maybe less so now, but maybe in your recent times as a coach, uh, not without reason, but almost replicating the behaviours of coaches and managers that have you've played under and not uh, and expecting similar or... Or, or like, uh, uh, you know, yeah, I liked responses from the players. Yeah, hundred percent. And uh, like, it's been my journey's been one where I'm learning on my feet. And listen, I'm like like yourself. I'm a father, and like, I don't like to shout and scream at my kids. I, I think it's it's pointless. There's no substance. Yeah, like you keep shouting at your kids, like. Yeah, you might get that scare factor, that scare and fear factor initially, but if you keep on doing it, it's just going to be like oh, whatever. That's that's shouting again. You know what I mean? So I've got, and it's almost the same with with my team. If like every time we have a bad performance and I just scream and shout, listen, don't get me, don't get it twisted. There's times where I have to raise my voice and I have to show teeth just to get a reaction. But if that's it as a constant, then. I think I think the the novelty wears off, so I've I've learned that instead of just screaming and shouting, and listen, I wasn't a screamer and a shouter, but I would like sometimes fly off the rails, and, and like, sometimes I look back at it and I think was that necessary? Is there other ways? And, mm-hmm. and I think I'm learning to what I do now is at half time, 
um, when half time comes, I go away like uh, obviously with my with my assistant, and I have a couple of minutes for them to whether good, bad, or indifferent for them to reflect and for me to reflect and for me to dissect what I'm going to say and how I'm going to deliver it and the same after a game. Um, and I think that's really important because, listen, no matter what field you're in, like we all, we all can live off emotions. And if every time after a game or at half time, I'm, I'm emotional, then I don't think that's very good. So I have to try and remove the emotions from the summary of, of, of the game and, and mm. at half time. Just on that, you know, you, you touched on it a little bit while you were talking there, and one of my questions was going to be, how have you found, you know, being a parent influence your, your behaviours as a coach in any way, shape or form? Because I think one of the key things that we've definitely seen over the last few years is the coaching industry as a whole seems to be getting younger and younger and younger, maybe where they haven't necessarily got these lived experiences, some of the things that you talked about earlier, and, or you know, potentially not having... Uh, family to think about and kids to you know kids to kind of bring to raise and whatnot so you know how was that shaped your coaching in any way shape or form um oh it's it's, it's been like so for for my interview for for england um to get the job i had to do a presentation and it was six one at one of the what part of the presentation was um named six milestones was shaped you as a person and as a coach that a and, man, was it yeah and like uh that hit me different like that was just like wow and I'd, I'd never had a question like that before like uh obviously i had time to prepare and stuff like that um and it just got me thinking and like don't want it to just be generic and stuff like that and obviously I had to put my kids in there and uh obviously first I had to put put my daughter because I had her so young and probably without my daughter I don't know where I'd be because she like gave me that sole focus that it's not just me now mm. it's, I have somebody else to, to fend for and stuff like that how old was you uh 16 going on 17 so i was a pup um so like that was that was that was massive for me and that and but like before every game that i that i played in i always used to bless myself like obviously obviously my last my last my last little boy um he hasn't obviously witnessed me like been here while i was playing but after i'd always bless myself three times because when i crossed that white line i knew that i was always doing it for my children um and that was just that was and obviously now coaching it's just like that, that for me whatever whatever i'm doing there has to be a purpose there's like i'm striving for greatness again because i wouldn't like like in my footballing career i had a successful career i had there was longevity in it and i want to say in my coaching career and i want to progress and i want to go as far as i can go wherever that may be but i'm doing it for my kids i'm doing it for my eldest still and i'm doing it for my youngest and I want, and I, and it's setting examples. Do you get what I mean? It's, it's, it's setting examples. I want my kids, like, uh, listen, your kids are a product of, of their environment. And, like, I need their environment to be positive um, and, like, and good. Like, my missus has got a really good job. Like, I, I've, I've got a good job. But we want better jobs. We want to mm. progress. Mm. And we want to show our kids that, yes, we come, your parents come from, hard-working background 
like and my daughter obviously she's 21 she's at university and she's she's following those footsteps my son's at Nottingham Forest he's an under 16 and he's striving for a scholarship and I'm teaching him now that he hasn't had his decision yet but when you do get your decision whether it be good or bad news like you crack on you if mm. if you work hard if you didn't get something you have to go and find something else like you have to go and get a scholarship somewhere else if like yeah. if you don't if you make it a forest if you make it as a scholar at forest brilliant the hard work just starts now so <laughs> like that mindset has got to be that you can't rest on your laurels 100 percent. i think the key key kind of phrase that jumps out i mean as you're speaking is control what you can control don't leave don't leave you know don't leave your your fate or your destiny however you wish to look at it in other people's hands do everything that you can so that at the end of that situation regardless of what the outcome is you can turn and say well i did my best you know i did everything i could and i think you know i think it's a great great way to look at it. i mean i can definitely relate to that you know i wasn't as young as you when when i had when i had my first one i was i was 21 going on 22 and i'll tell you, I'll tell you what man i had to grow up quick man i had to grow up quick um I, I was, I was doing, you know, I, I, I was, I'm in an iron about what I was actually going to do, but then you know, by that point, I had just like, nah, I can't, I'm an iron anymore. I've got to make a decision. Um, and yeah, you know, I'm, I'm here, here eight, eight and a half years later and I'm thinking to myself, right, you know, I've done, I've done some crazy things, but that put me back on track to the things I needed to be getting, you know, needed to focus on. Like even recently, you know, completed my master's. I didn't even have an undergrad and I said to myself, right, I'm going to, you know, I want to get a degree um managed to get myself into a master's complete that and it was just like well some people ask me why did you do the master's i said to be honest with you part of it was for, for me but really it was for my kids you know if i can turn around in 10 years time or 15 years time when they're getting ready to think about university and things like that and be like well at least you can do is get an undergrad your dad's got a master's do you know what i mean just almost like you know like you said you know coming from a hard working background setting some standards for, for them for them to kind of look up to so you know i, I, I totally i totally get that and you, you, you mentioned there are a couple positive examples you know you use some names what are some of the negatives that you know you you've been into you know you've experienced in your journey um negatives it's been a lot of negatives I, I remember um so going back when i uh when i signed obviously i signed schoolboys scholarship with millwall um but charlton bought me from millwall after six months into my scholarship um but listen, everyone knows that Millwall's got the reputation of not painting itself with glory to players, people, ethnic backgrounds, um, to put it diplomatically. Um, but so when I'll never forget that when I was signing my scholarship form, so Millwall done it really, really good. They were big on uh, making an evening of it. I'm sure a lot of, a lot of clubs do it, um, but it was like, Put on a suit, you have to wear a shirt and tie, whatever. Uh, parents come along to the den, um, big signing, meal, dinner, signing, obviously, blah, blah, blah. Brilliant, buzzing, absolutely buzzing. Obviously, like I said, from like when I signed for Millwall as a schoolboy, I was like, yeah, want to be a footballer, want to be, want to be a YTS, blah, 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 want to be a pro. Um, and I'll never forget, it was like best day of my life and the worst. So I had the whole whole evening, whatever, brilliant pictures taken, signing, thinking, yeah, I'm well on the way to being a pro. Got back in the car and my mum and my stepdad, like, thinking, buzzing, sitting in the back, talking about the night. My mum turns around and she was like, right, listen, 
give you some context. My mum was a strict Jamaican woman. Like, like she was mum and dad. Like, there was no grey areas, black and white. This is what it is. Boom, boom, boom. She turned around and she was like, listen to me. You listen to me good. You've got to get your head right. Because they told me that you're never going to be a professional footballer. They signed you because you're a good kid. You're a good lad. That's what my mum said to me on the the night of signing scholarship. What was meant to be the best day up to that up to date of my life. And she said they said that I was never going to be a professional footballer. It was just like there was spaces and he's a good kid. So we thought, yeah, like, why not? And let me tell you, that made me grow up as a fifteen-year-old, double, double quick. I like, I couldn't believe it. It was, it was, it was incredible. I was just like, yeah. And my like the youth team manager, he hated me. Um, again, I won't name names, but it was just, it was just one of them things. And I just grafted and I worked hard every day, and I grafted and I worked hard. When they told me that I couldn't, I could. When they told me that I wouldn't, I would. They told me I wouldn't make it, I did. You know what I mean, so like, I, and I and I try and kick this knowledge onto my son, and I will to my to my younger two sons that don't let nobody tell you that you can't. Because if you got that drive, if you want to be something, I'm having these conversations now with my boy. He's 15. He's at Forest, and we we both know what it's like. As a footballer, being it's like a roller coaster. You have one good game, you think you've cracked it. You have a bad game, and like he's in floods of tears. He's not starting. He's in floods of tears. So I'm I'm always trying to like kick that knowledge onto him that as long as you want it, you'll be fine. But like you can't let the Instagram life fool you and blah 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 and having one good game or putting a a ball in the stanch. One like they're isolated incidents. You have to be consistent. So I think feeding that to the kids in this day and age is so tough because, like, for me, fun was, when I was his age, was taking a ball, going out the front on my own and kicking the ball a thousand times up against the wall as high as I could to trap the ball, as hard as I can to trap the ball, to practice turns inside, outside. The kids aren't doing that today. And, like, listen, society's a lot different for various reasons technology obviously being the main instagram social media but like i said to him if you want this then obviously you've got my support but you like you sitting in and playing fifa all day ain't ain't helping you so it's just i just think like life lessons trying to kick that onto your kids like whether it's my your own personal kids or the ones that you're coaching it's just vitally important and hopefully i deliver that in the right way to them because like I say to my boys at Peterborough, like, and 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 I wholeheartedly mean it that like I love them all to bits, and I like I truly do. In the wrong, they annoy the life out of me at times, but like I want no, the, the 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 God's honest truth is like are all of them going to make it? Absolutely not. Probably two in the group are, mm. and but me, I'm <laughs> like people keep saying I'm too emotional as a coach because I want to help everyone. They say you should just focus on the best ones. I can't do that. Yeah, I mean, it's an interesting one because, you know, something, you know, links back to something you said earlier. Someone, you know, you could be playing brilliantly, manager's having you, manager gets sacked, new guy comes in, Ian Avenue. Mm -hmm. It's all perceptions, right, and opinions. 
But I think the key thing for me and what you said there is you're recognising that, you know what, you're going to do what you can for them whilst, whilst, whilst they're under your provision. And whether that means them ending up as a player in the first team at Peterborough, whether that means they've developed a career elsewhere in the game, whether that means that you've developed them as a, you know, as a person where they've got the necessary life skills, the confidence and whatever they need to kind of live life. You know what I mean? And I think that's the key piece. It's just, it's, it's like that old saying, right? Um, how does it go again? I'm not even going to try and butcher it. So essentially it's the impact that you have on them that's going to, that's going to be lost. It's not what you can do for them in, in terms of where you take them on a, in, in a career or, or a role, but actually how you've influenced them as a person. And I think that, that I think I think what you're doing is, is certainly aligned with the way that I look at things as well. It's like, what can I do to add value to every person in my care? Mm. And the key word that you use there, you know, is that love piece. And it doesn't have to be literally, but it's just a case of no, I actually care about your development. Mm. I want you to get better because whatever you do is a reflection of you, in reflection of myself in you. And what I've been able to support you, so I think that's a, that's a great way to go. I'm I'm really conscious of time, you know, uh, and you you know you've 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 covered a lot already, and there's I'm sure there's so many other things that we can unpack. But having now been you know having now been a coach for the last few years, what would you say has been the most useful reflection or lesson that you've had? Um, uh, do you know what I think? And it's only up to recent that I've actually really started to take it in. Like going like the other like a couple of weeks ago, I went up to Man United and I shadowed Mark Dempsey and Travis Binion uh, up there, which obviously was brilliant. Been to Bristol City and like um, shadowed my old teammates when Lee Johnson, obviously he's a Hibernian now, um, and Jamie McAllister. Um, I shadowed Justin Cochran when he was with with the Football Association and. Those uh, couple of weeks ago, I was with the under 15s um, with Will Antwi and Neil Ryan, with the under 19s with Simon Rusk and, and, and Andy Edwards. And for me, like, if I can, if I could strip out little good bits of everybody and add that to what I've already got, that's only going to enhance me. And like, um, like the learning that I'm getting of so many other people is vital for me because my listen, my journey's just started and everybody again, like in football, like in playing, everybody's journey is different. And um some some people are ahead of ahead of me in their journey over a shorter time frame. Um I'm ahead of some people in, in my journey and but I think the most important f- thing for me is my journey's my journey. And um, my learning will is a reflection of that, and and where I where I am right now, I'm I'm really happy in terms of where I was and where I'm at now, and I think I'm definitely progressing as a person and as a coach, and just to continue to learn enough of other influential people, like um, obviously, in, listen, obviously being a coach developer in the football association, there's so many good people within that. And like I'm like rubbing shoulders with, with obviously the best of the best. Obviously, people like Tim Dittmar who's kicking knowledge onto me all the time, and some of the coaches is is brilliant. And and I think that's invaluable, you know. Um, and as long as you stay humble and focused and hungry, um, I think we we all can achieve anything that we want to. 
No, I think I think you're spot on, Jamal. And I think you know the key thing there is take it take a little bit from everyone, um, but not also not just the positives. Also take a little bit of the negatives and recognize what you need to leave behind. And I think that's where people often go wrong. They often always say, you know, I want to look out for, you know, how am I going to develop? What are the things I need to learn? Yeah, but there's positives and negatives to that. And, you know, I, I, just it just sounds like you're getting that. Just to, inter- just to interrupt you on that. Yeah, yeah you know, go for when, it. When you, um, when you ask me about best coaches and worst coaches, and I, I don't want to talk about name names of the, the worst coaches, but I actually learned so much of how not to be as mm. well. And that's exactly and, what I'm referring to. Yeah, yeah, that's and and for me that was I'm actually working with with someone that was a part of his management team before. And we talk about it all the time, but and I always speak about like I learned so much of him of, because of how I don't want to be mm. and how I don't want to be perceived and how I don't want to treat my players or how I don't want my players to think I am. And um, and like you just obviously said it there, which is a great point that. Like you can learn off the good, but you can also learn off the bad. Um, and I've definitely, definitely done that. So just, you know, just to final note, what's the biggest lesson that you've learned to avoid? Um, you know, to avoid, I, I think the biggest lesson learned is to always be respectful. Like respect is just like, people may not agree with, things you say and all the rest of it I think as long as you're honest and you're respectful I think that just I think that carries you so much further than whatever ability whatever ability you've got you know what I mean I just think it's it's imperative and 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 I'll tell you this there's not enough honest and respectful people that's just on a human level right yeah 100% 100% so and, and football's ruthless football is ruthless everyone's it's like it's dog eat dog some of the stories that I've heard and I've witnessed and I've been a part of, like, listen, I say football, but like, I think it's life. But um, but I just think as long as you're an honest person and you're respectful, I think people will respect that. Do you get what I mean? Speak to mm-hmm. people how you mm-hmm. want to be spoken to. You may not agree with everything somebody's saying, but as long as you're respectful in it, I think that will carry you far. Yeah, no, no, I'm, I'm smiling as well because I've just uh, just reminded me of, of a story. Um, so when I first started getting into this coach development thing, um, I remember the, one of the first courses I delivered, and I just keep, I just, I just say how I see it. Um, if I don't think it's good enough, I'll tell you it's not good enough. Not because I'm trying to get onto you, I'm, I'm being malicious with it. I'm just telling you, no, there's a lot more that you, I, I can see, there's a lot more that you can do, but you're not, you're not pushing yourself to that, to that limit, and. I won't use the word that they, they, they used, but I remember one of the learners came to me and said, in fact, it was a course that I'd done recently where he knew one of the people on the first course I delivered. And the guy was like, all the guys that you were responsible for on that course thought you were, but they all loved you because you just, you just, you just kept it honest with them. You're being 100 with them. And they didn't necessarily like what you had to say, once it once once that feeling had passed they recognized that the reason you said it's because you only want them to get better mm. and they respected you for that and that, that that's that's one thing that's always stuck with me it's almost like it even now when when i when i approach the situation i'm always saying to myself well, do you want me to make you feel better or do you want me to help you get better mm. and if it's if it's the if it's the if it's the former i'm not your guy yeah, yeah. i'm not here to make you feel better 
And, you know, and not because I don't care or because I don't want you to feel good, but that's just not my job. Um, so, no, just, yeah, it's, it's a really interesting point, you know, and it just remind me of, of that story as well. But, Jamal, look, I'm, I'm conscious of time. I um, just want to say a massive thank you for obviously taking the time out to be with me and, and have this conversation. I'm sure there's going to be some um, key bits that have kind of landed with a few people that listen to this. And even for them to reflect on whether, uh, you know, whether they're actually taking opportunities to learn things that they should be leaving behind, as well as the things that they're hopefully going to implement going forward. Um, mm. But yeah, massive thanks, man. No problem at all. No problem. Good to talk to you, my friend. Likewise, look after yourself, man. Yeah, yeah. And you, man. We'll catch up soon. Definitely. All right, tell man, take care. Well, there you have it, guys. Another episode of the Coaches Network podcast, where our aim is to bring the world of athlete, talent, and personal development together to just one platform. And you can help us with that mission right now by sharing this episode or any of your favourite episodes with everyone that you can think of. You can tag us in those mentions as well on Instagram at The Coaches Network or on Twitter at The Coaches Net. We look forward to hearing from you. Let us know what you thought about today's episode. And until next time, guys, take care.